I calculated this morning that I have listened to 5,500 plus sermons since I accepted Christ as my personal Savior at the First Baptist Church of Honolulu, Hawaii at the age of six. And until 11 years ago, I could have predicted what happened in every church service. No more. Things are different now. And the Lord has brought me to a place where he brings me into groups of people where he wants me to help them move from one place into another place. So so that we are being changed from glory to glory. We have the great joy to be in Germany. I've had two trips there. And the first trip was with a free church, which is very much influenced by the vineyard movement and is very, very alive. But on the second trip, they scheduled one conference with the state church. And not the state Catholic church, but the state Lutheran church. And I went with great fear and trepidation. Because I was not sure what God was going to do. Or I was afraid what he might do. They put out the publicity for this deliverance conference, wondering if they're going to have very many show up, and over 250 came. Now, not because they knew about me, it had nothing to do with me, but the fact is that, that they are hungry for the power of God, for something that's going to finally make a difference in their lives. They are tired of church the way it is. And so I thought to myself, now I'm going to be very safe with this group. We're just going to keep it very safe. I can do some teaching. I'll, I'll share my testimony. We're going to be in the Word a lot. As a, as a pastor, I would preach through books of the Bible, so I was going to stay in the Bible, because I didn't want to get any, to any theological dis- discussions with any Germans. You know, about German theologians. I thought, I, I can't stand up against that. And the next morning, we started on Friday night, and the next morning, uh, one of the leaders came to me, and they, they said, now we want you to lay hands on, and to pray for our people. I said, well, I don't know if I really want to do that yet. I'm not sure how they're going to receive this. So we're going to wait till tonight, and we'll dismiss everybody, let them all go home, and whoever wants to stay, then I'll pray for it. Then I asked the people, I said, now what do you want? And this is what one lady said, I'll never forget it. She said, we are tired of information, we want the power. Now the question for you tonight is, what do you want? What do you want? Have you come expecting another church service? And I need to tell you, I do not negate the influence of any sermon or church service in my life. Because of the Word of God and because of Baptist churches, I have a good marriage a good family, great-grandchildren, kids who love the Lord. The principles in this book work. But are you being changed from glory into glory? What do you want? I dare you to pray, Lord, stir up my faith to believe the unexpected will happen. Lord, stir up my faith. We can't do it. We can't do any of this. The Lord, stir up my faith that I might touch your manifest presence. Lord, that I might see your glory. And I want to tell you how I got from being a six-year-old Southern Baptist to becoming an American Baptist pastor ending up in this condition. (laughs) And I consider myself to be still an American Baptist pastor. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I close the door. I will walk the path. I will run the race. And I will never be the same again. Fall like fire. Soak like rain. Flow like mighty waters again and again. Sweep away the darkness and let a flame 
burn, to burn away the chaff, and to glorify your name. Several years ago, when I was youth pastor, junior high director at the First Baptist Church of Downey, California, we would take groups of kids to Magic Mountain. And that was always a wonderful time because I liked riding the roller coasters. And I, we always anticipated the new rides that were coming um, to be experimented with. And so one quick trip we make, we took uh, a couple of busloads of kids and we got off the bus. And I had heard about this new ride called Freefall. And I was anticipating with great excitement getting on this ride. And so we made our way into the park and eventually made our way to Freefall. And I saw this cage suspended on a pole high up in the air. And I saw this line of people, and, and then this cage would come down, swooping down like this, and then people would get on the ca- into the cage, and they'd close it up, and then it would go straight up, and then it would drop down. I thought, well, that doesn't look too bad. <laughs> I, I can do that. And so I got on the, um, on the free fall ride, and then they started moving us up. Now, in those days, you stood up. I went there recently, and you sit down now. In those days, you stood up, and it went all the way up to the top, about three million feet in the air. <laughs> and I looked down through this grate, like this, and I could see the ground. I thought, God did not build us to be this high above the ground, looking at it from this distance. And then somebody pushed a button. And I thought I was going to die. And it came down and swooped like this, as you know, then it comes back, and then you're like this, and you're getting off. And, and so I got off the ride, and I kind of walked around for a while, and I thought, now, I don't know whether I like that or not. But I kept on uh, looking at it, and I'm thinking, now, Maybe I might go on again, but I'm not sure if I'm going to go on this again. And then towards the end of the day, when I was just getting the courage up to maybe trying it again, I noticed that there, there were people, and they were looking up like this. And so, of course, what happens is we all looked up, and, and here's Freefall there, and there's a, a ladder going up this pole. And there's a man on the ladder going up the pole. And there's this, there's this line of people that probably is a wait of at least an hour and a half to two hours. Now, I want you to get the picture. We have a broken ride with, these people, with a person walking up the ladder, and there, are, there, are, there is a line of people an hour and a half to two hours long waiting to get on the broken ride. Now, I am not real intelligent, but, but I made a rapid decision. And the decision was, I am not going to get on that ride again. Now, why is it? Why is it that we are so compelled to do things that are exciting? Why is it? We, we seem to be moving from one thing to another, always hoping that the next thing that we do will perhaps bring us to that level of excitement and thrill that will finally satisfy us, but we're never satisfied. Dean Sherman, who uh, I still believe teaches with um, Youth with a Mission, uh, came one time to our church in Southern California, and he, ma- he made an amazing statement. He said that, that we are interested in three things. We are interested in a great romance, a great conflict, and a great adventure. Now you look at the television programs, the music that we listen to, the movies that we go to, the video games that we we like, or even the outdoor sports that we get involved in. They all are encompassed by those three, aren't they? Now, the guys do not like the chick flick, great romance type things as much, but we are good husbands often and we take our wives there if we are compelled. Not very often, though. But look at this. A great conflict a great romance, and a great adventure. And we seem to spend our entire lives trying to find that greatest adventure, that greatest romance, and that greatest conflict. Now, the difficulty is not that we have consumed our time looking for that, but we have not looked 
in the right place. We have failed to understand that there is in the universe a being who is uncreated, a being who is from everlasting to everlasting, that invites us in to the greatest romance in the universe, who invites us in to the greatest adventure in the universe, and invites us in to the greatest conflict in the universe. So much so, that when we are invited in, everything starts seeming bored after that. Boring. Because it does not measure up to that which is the greatest. Now Moses understood this. Moses was a great man of God. Now remember in Egypt he kind of had an inkling of his calling. He decided he was going to rescue the children of Israel, so he murders someone and gets kicked out of Egypt by running away in fear of his life. He goes in the desert for 40 years. The bush lights on fire. And God calls him back into Egypt. And he, you know the story how he's, he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they finally get to Mount Sinai. And he goes up to the mountain and receives the law, the Ten Commandments and all the other aspects of the law. And while he is up there, the children of Israel start a party. And Aaron, not a real definitive leader, falls under the pressure of the moment because Moses is taking too long up there. And so, as he tells Moses later, he says, well, I just threw these things in the pot and out came a, a calf. And that's like a teenage excuse, isn't it? Well, I don't know how it happened. It just came out like that. And so God says to Moses, and why don't you look at the passage with me in Exodus. Exodus chapter 32, is the end of verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said... These are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now this is really a funny conversation. God, God says to Moses, now your people who you brought out of Egypt have done some bad things. And then God says to Moses, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you into a great nation. Now what is God doing there? He is saying to Moses, don't pray to me. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me about this, because I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the earth. Now Moses is not content to leave things like they are. This This man is a man of God. So look down at verse 12. So Moses responds. Now this is prayer. There's no praying like we've heard before. And God and Moses are having this argument. And so Moses says, Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce angry, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. And Moses continues in verse 22. You know how prone these people are to evil, they said to me. Make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out from Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Of course, this is Aaron responding to all this, this conversation going on. Now Moses is arguing with God, saying, God, don't do this, because your reputation is going to be ruined. And God is saying to Moses, leave me alone, don't pray to me. Now look on, verse 33. Chapter 33. Verse 3. Go up to the land of, of land flowing of milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now Moses is in a bad position. And Moses is thinking about this. Now the Lord has just told me to go ahead and go, but he's not going to go with us. Was God serious? I think so. Verse 12. Now Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Verse 15, if your present does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Now Moses is now leading over two and a half million people by himself. And God has now given him an email message. He says, I'm not going to go with you. Enjoy yourself. And Moses says, Lord, if your presence does not go, what? I do not want to go. Now Moses has been involved in some serious praying. But he has not got to the capper yet. Pretty soon he prays what I believe outside of salvation is the greatest prayer you can pray. In real truth, he is saying to God, I am now going to go for the card that's going to win the game. I am going to lay before God that which is going to be the final argument that I'm going to offer. And what does he say? Ready? Verse 18. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What is that all about? Why is that important? Look what God says in response to that. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, one cannot see my face, nor one cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you, you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So that took place. And Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, and then God's glory passed by Moses. Verse 6, chapter 34. And he passed, the Lord God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then Moses says, O Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us, although this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And God says, okay. Why? Because Moses said, show me your glory. You see, the manifest glory of God is when his character is present. And he is a forgiving God. But something else happens with the glory. Something else happens. Look on. Verse 29 of chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. That word radiant literally means to shoot forth beams. He was laser-faced. The teenagers looked at him and said, Whoa, dude! Get on down! Because all this, this laser light was coming off of his face. So what is the glory of God? The glory of God is his character, but also it's his radiant glory. It is his power. And when you come into the presence of his glory, when you come into his radiant, manifest Present, something happens to you, and you are never the same again. I was born in Wellington, New Zealand, and about 16 months of age, my father, who was in the Marine Corps, and my mother, who was a New Zealander, moved to the west coast of the United States, and we traveled up and down the west coast. We remained in the Marines, and we settled in Oceanside, California. Well, I grew up for nine years. That's after living in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was there in Honolulu, Hawaii at the First Baptist Church of Honolulu that I accepted Christ as my Savior 
at the age of six. I went to Oceanside High School and went to 29 Palms High School. My parents moved to Gardena, Hawthorne area, and I eventually moved down there after graduating from high school. Went to Pepperdine University where I received my BA in history and English. Before going to Pepperdine, I spent some time at Green Oak Ranch Boys Camp. And then after graduating from Pepperdine University, I served for a summer as a counselor at Green Oak Boys Ranch. And it was there that the Lord came incredibly powerfully upon me. Now, I didn't understand what that was. I'm a, I was a Baptist. I didn't understand this. But I went into this fog, and it was like I was in this fog, and I was in this tunnel, and I had to give my life to full-time Christian service. The first year of college, when I moved to Downing, California, I became a member of First Baptist Church of Downing. And there, I eventually, after finishing my degree at Pepperdine, became a school teacher. I met my wife and started working in the junior high department of the First Baptist Church, which is where I met Terry Lynn Sweeney. Is that correct? I remember your maiden name. Who became a Sunday school teacher in our department. And then the Lord started calling us to consider being a pastor, and I did not want to become a pastor. Later on, I found out why I did not want to become <laughs> a pastor. So I ended up going back to school, and eventually I said, Lord, okay, you want me to become a pastor, then you're going to have to open up a place for me to speak, learn how to speak in public. The next, very next day, I got a call from a camp in Central California. I started speaking at camps. And then, eventually, in 1977, we moved to Buell, Idaho, where we became pastor of the First Baptist Church of Buell. We spent three winters in Buell. <laughs> but I moved back to Southern California, and I was a typical American Baptist pastor of a church around 450 members. And I was sailing right along with a church staff, and we had church programs, and and church was very predictable. Every Sunday morning, we would have the invocation. We would have the call to worship. We would have the choir come in. We would do all that. I'd go through my sermon. I'd have the invitation at the end. And, of course, I'd go out and stand at the center door, hoping that everyone would come out and tell me how wonderful the sermon was. Some people would skirt and go out other doors. <laughs> and then in 1989, after I received my doctorate, People started coming to me saying, I'm seeing demons, or I'm hearing demons. Well, I believe in demons, they're in the Bible. And it was enough of, of a um, barrage of people coming to me, and I thought, well, maybe I need to do a sermon series on spiritual warfare. Now, now we who are pastors, if you need to study something, the best thing to do is to study something that you're going to have to preach in a sermon. That way you can get rid of two things at one time. You can learn more stuff, and you can preach it. So I, I started doing a lot of research, and a person on staff gave me this book. He said, Paul, I think you need to read this book. And the book was entitled, When the Spirit Comes with Power. I read this book, and I was shocked. It was a study of the vineyard movement. Now, I heard about John Wimber and how weird he was, and that he was a dangerous man, and that's about all I, I knew about him. But I started reading this book, and it was a critique by a man named John White of the Vineyard Movement, and he actually took a year off as a sabbatical to study what was happening with the vineyard. And so I was reading that, and I thought, gosh, this guy sounds like a Baptist. I mean, he, he believes the Bible. And so I, I got one of his books, Power uh, Evangelism, I think it was, or Power and Healing, I can't remember which one. And, and, I, and I read it, and it was all Bible, and it was just what was in the Bible. And then I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, do with me anything you want. <laughs> that was a no-no prayer if you didn't mean it. Something started happening. In September 1989, we had a a series of three days of waiting on the Lord. Now, I am a very organized per person. 
I always have my sermons, um, titles, passage, uh, a short outline, figured out at least three months in advance, sometimes six months. We had church program planned one year in advance. And we came for three days, and we sat in church and waited. Just waited. Absolutely nothing happened. Yet. About three weeks into the sermon series, a lady calls up and says, what you are talking about is my problem. Now, I read enough about deliverance that it took hours and hours and hours you were going to do any of this fighting stuff. And so it was a Thursday night, so I said, now, on Saturday at 1 o'clock, we'll meet together. So on Saturday, October the 7th at 1 o'clock, 1989. Think I think that date's important? We sat in a room with the one intercessor we had in the church. And I started praying. And I had I had my notes in a plastic protector. In case anybody threw up or spit up on the <laughs> on the notes. And I I started praying. I started praying all these prayers that I had read, read in books and I prayed I prayed so hard and nothing happened. So I prayed some more. Nothing happened. Twenty minutes I prayed. Nothing happened. Then all of a sudden her hands started doing this. I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then she got this strange look in her face, and I said, what's happening? She said, they keep on repeating everything you're saying. Now, I looked around the room, and no one was talking. I said, who keeps on repeating everything that I'm saying? The voice is inside. I said, oh, and all of a sudden, she, she started speaking in a different voice. And this demon came out and started speaking. And, and then she, she started having this, this memory. It was like a motion picture in her head of being molested uh, around age three. And I had never seen any of this before. And I, I kept on praying. The Lord removed that demon. Another one came up. The Lord removed that demon. And this woman who was in her 50s, who had not been able to come to church who had been so oppressed, all of a sudden was a different person. And I was, I was shocked. <laughs> I remember going home, and I opened the door, and Donna was standing there, and I said, we made contact. <laughs> it was like someone put a memo out. If you want this kind of ministry, come to this church. And people started coming from everywhere. First of all, people from inside the church. People that I had ministered to for nine years. Many who we had gone to the counseling center that we had set up in the church. And I still work with lots of therapists. I believe in therapy. I believe in sometimes people need medication. I have nothing against that. But, but there were impasses that we had come to. And some of these people were just not getting better. And I started praying for them. And now after nine years, they're being changed. and They're different. And so they would tell more people. And pretty soon therapists started bringing people in. It, it was about that time that we came down here and I did my first seminar at this church. It was right in, that, right in that period of time. This church has been such a blessing to us. Well, one time we had a therapist that came in and she was working with a client who was multiple personality disorder. He had served several alters or personalities. And the therapist was there, I was there, and I believe there was one or two other intercessors there. And we were talking to one of the personalities, and all of a sudden, the Lord starts speaking through her voice. And said, Paul, do you want to see her healed completely? I said, well, yes, Lord, I want to see her healed completely. And then she went back to her whole personality, and she started repeating all these prayers that I had written down. She had never seen them. But the Lord started canceling through her mouth every single thing that we had canceled before. And then I felt this electricity hit my head right here. And go like that over me. And I was shocked. 
Now, I have been a Christian since the age of six. At this time, I'm around 45 years of age. And I have never experienced anything like this. I remember I went back to the phone, I called Donna, and she could tell my voice that I'm not an emotional person. That's an understatement. That something had happened. The next day, the most amazing thing was there, was apparent. And it wasn't a thing, it was God. Uh, secretary that I had went into that room. She said, Paul, you have to go back into that room. And I went in that room and I still felt this electricity coming over me. And then the secretary had gone to the sanctuary and said, Paul, you need to go in the sanctuary. And, and the room was um, just off on this side, right here. And so we walked down the sanctuary and I walked into what felt like a river. And I walked back and I walked back in, and it was like a river was flowing from the room across the pulpit area. And we, st- we started going to the office, and we dragged people in. We said, you have to come, to- you have to come and feel this. So we dragged them in, and they go, oh, what is this? I don't know, I think it's God. <laughs> I realized it was the river of God. I didn't know it then. I didn't know what kind of name to put to it. Well, pretty soon the church invited me to leave. (laughs) And please don't do that as a result of the sermon tonight to your pastor, okay? (laughs) And I became pastor of, uh, interim pastor of North Park Baptist Church. We have some North Park people here. There's two up back there. And I would drive down after starting a little church that the church that I left gave me permission to start, I would, we'd have church on Saturday night. I'd drive down on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock to be here down at North Park. And I'd preach Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then the Farrelly's who live here in La Jolla I got stuck with me. I'd come over Sunday night, Monday night. Every Tuesday night I would fix them dinner as a thank you for putting up with me. And we had the school of the Holy Spirit. One time we sat in the room, and God started giving us things in our hands. Now, T.L. can see into the Spirit. And so she would start teaching us, and then she'd walk away and say, you figure it out yourself. And so we're here, Brian and I are here trying to figure out what's in our hands. One time, I remember, we were singing in the room, and we started feeling wind moving in the room. And we started feeling angel wings. I was shocked. I could feel them brushing against me. At the same time, I started having strange things happen to my body. I started having reactions to demons. And I would say to TL, and I'd call up and I'd say, TL, I'm feeling this. What are you seeing? She said, there's a demon there. The Lord gave me the gift of discernment. Now, those of you that are here this morning do not you do not understand the implications of the passage that you are in this morning. Brian Fairley is preaching through Hebrews chapter 5. He did not plan to be in this passage this morning, except that the Holy Spirit made the next passage. And the passage ends up with the verse that really supports the gift of discernment. It says, people who have trained their senses to discern good and evil. And the Lord started training me so that I could, I could tell if there were demons around people, where there were demons in buildings. Then he started telling me where there were angels and where, um, there were, there was pain in a building. Where certain people would sit and what they would, would believe. And I remember, I'm a Baptist. Okay? All this, all this peculiar things are, all these peculiar things are happening to me. In October of 1991, I was at the Fairley's home. And I was on the phone to Rob, right there. It was about 6, 6.30 in the evening. And I started feeling electricity come over the top of my head again. And it got more and more and more intense. Just like what's happening right now. And I said to Rob, I think I better go now. 
And the Fairleys condo is a is a split level, then plus another second floor. But the the one the first level is split into three parts or two parts: the living room, hallway, kitchen. Next part up. I was in the kitchen. I made it to about the hallway, and the power of God hit me and slammed me against the wall. No one prayed in tongues over me. No one laid hands on me. No one did anything to me. The power of God just sovereignly came and slammed me to the wall. And I was like on one of those rides. You remember those rides where you can't move and you know, they spin you up like this and you're like this? I was like that for over an hour and a half. And it was like a river of power came over me. It was so funny. I remember Brian was down in the living room area and he came up the steps and he hit that wall of power and he slammed the ground. Some of you have never heard the story before, have you? <laughs> I can tell. Some of you in this church. This is also Brian's coming out party. <laughs> and he came over and he laid his hands on me. He just prayed for me. He prays. I don't know if anybody in the world prays more beautiful prayers than Brian. That's the truth, Brian. He prays those beautiful prayers. He just ministered to me in the pain that I experienced and just trying to, to listen to God and to be obedient to what God wanted me to do. And, and this, this, this power came over me. And, and I found after that that, that any time I listened to worship music, the same anointing would just, would just sweep over me. Well, we eventually became pastor, uh, co-pastor of another church in Southern California, and then we ended up moving up to the desert. And several times I've had these kind of anointings that's happened to me. One time we were in the desert and I felt this, this pain coming on my head like this. Now, I have all this stuff going on on me all the time. and I, I, This is really quite strange. One person said to me that you're never going to know if you're sick because all this stuff is going on on you all the time. That's true. But I felt this, this and I, I started, I'm, I'm an administrator, so I started timing it. Every 90 seconds I get this, this pressure on my head. It went on, I think, for two or three days. And I thought, now what in the world is this? And so I go around, and I, I think I, I may even called TL. I always call TL when I mystify what's going on. She says, usually she says, it's for your training. She loves to say that. <laughs> it's for your training. I, Come on, TL, cough up the information here. <laughs> we were, I was passing a, uh, a small church up in the desert, and we had a youth group at our house. And not very many kids showed up that night, and, and, I, I, and I started noticing things happening to me about a half an hour before the youth group started, and I felt something building up inside of me, and I was like, now what's going on? And this is like this presence of God just keeps on building and building. And uh, one of the teenagers was there, and I thought, and I think I'm supposed to lay hands and pray for you, so I put my hands on him, and I went straight back under the power of God on my back and started flopping like a fish for about a, about a half an hour. And I'd have surges of power coming up my feet into my head, and I was flopping like this. And uh, I finally got control of myself, and I realized that um, what was going on, <laughs> there was a kid who was a brand new Christian. He was sitting there. We're on the floor, and he's against the, he's against the fireplace like this. <laughs> Because he is like this, and he can't move either. He's like, and I'm going. So, so I get in the car. Now remember, remember, I'm a Baptist. Okay. I get in the car, and I, I start taking these kids home, and I realize that things are getting out of control. Because I'd hold them with one hand, and my hand would go like this. And I, I couldn't stop shaking. So I finally got back home, and one of our intercessors was there, and she just said, come Holy Spirit, and I hit the ground. Boom! Just like that. A couple years ago, we were in um, Light the Nation with Ed Savoso, Harvest Evangelism. 5,000 people are there, and there's a speaker room in the back. We're ministering to some of the speakers. And Sergio Scatellini, who was one of the key leaders in the Argentine revival, was there. And we locked eyes across the room. He did not even touch me. And the power got hit me again. I dropped the ground. I got up, and I made it to another room. There was a huge room, about twice the size of this room. And the power got hit me, another guy that was there, and we were on the ground again for two hours. 
including a time, except for a time when I posed it backwards around this entire room. Now I'll tell you, friends, after God has you flop around the floor and you cannot do a thing about it after a while, you lose any pride that you might have. You just, okay, God, whatever you want to do, and I don't understand it, but whatever you want to do. Now why? There's a tie between Moses' prayer and my experience and what God wants to do tonight. For you see, right now, there are cherubim that are here. And the glory is here tonight. And I couldn't tell you that unless I could discern it, and it's here. The glory of God is here tonight. Now let's look at the glory. Let's see what is the nature of the glory. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Now friends, I'm not making this up. I'm going to read it right from the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. I looked and I saw a world, a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. The living creatures are here right now tonight. I can feel them. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Out of their wings on their foreside, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their face, their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Now, we're going to put together three passages, Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, and Revelation 4. And we know that the living creatures each have six wings. So there's four of them, six wings each. Now they each have four faces. Now, how do I know the living creatures here? Because I can discern angels, but also I can discern the turning of the heads. I can, I can feel right now the living creatures' heads turning. It is turning. Their faces look like this. Each of them four had the face of a man. and On the right side, each had the face of a lion. On the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wings of another creature on either side, and two wings covering his body. Now look at this. Each one went straight ahead wherever the Spirit went. Underline that. Wherever the Spirit went they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creature was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the teacher, creatures. Now look at this. There's four living creatures and there's fire. The fire is present tonight. That's the anointing, I believe. That's where the anointing is. It's in the fire, it's in the living creature, and it's moving back and forth. The fire is flowing. Right now it's flowing. It's flowing. Even as I talk about it, I can feel the anointing increasing. The anointing, the fire, the fire, the fire of God moves between the living creature's legs. The creature sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. There was, this was the appearance and the structure of the wheels. They sparkled like crimson light and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in one of the four directions of the creature's face. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. God has been opening up this message to me for years, but particularly in the last few months in, in, in Argentina, I gave the sermon. And one, one man there said, Lord, show me a living creature. You know what he saw? He saw one giant eye. And that tells me how big these living creatures must be. That's all he could see was one eye. And we are told that their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Now, I'm not making this up. It's right here. Okay? I see some of you thinking, I don't know. 
the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now notice here, now the spirit of the living creature is in the wheels. So the spirit of God moves in the legs, in the presence of living creatures, but the spirit of living creatures is in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Spread out now. Okay, now we're going to move to another level of understanding. Spread out above the heads of the living creature was what looked like a great expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. It's the great sea of glass that we read about in Revelation. This is above the four living creatures. Now one of the problems in the church is that we're being more concerned about the fire than what's on the living creatures. We're not here to talk about the fire, but the fire is here. But there's something more that we need to put our attention to. Verse 23, On the expanse their wings were stretched out one towards the other, and each had two wings covering his body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse, the sea of glass, uh, their heads as they stood with their lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw... From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as a full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was a rain surround him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. <clears throat> so now we have the four living creatures, the expanse, the sea of glass, the throne of God, and Jesus. The glory. The glory is there. That's where the glory is. That's where the focus is. Not on the fire, on the glory. Now look over chapter 10. Verse 2. The Lord speaks to Ezekiel. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go among the wheels beneath the cherubim, Fill your hands with the burning coals from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And as I washed, he went in. Verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was filled with the radiance of the glory of the Lord. Verse 6. When the Lord commanded the man in linen, Take fire from among the wheels. From among the cherubim, the man went in and stood beside a wheel. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took it, some of it, and put it in the hands of the man in linen, and took it, and he went out. Verse 9, I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim, the wheels sparkled like crimson light. As for their appearance, then it goes on and on and on. Verse 12, their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, and their wings, were completely full of eyes as were the four wheels. Then verse 20, these, four, these were living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kibar River, and I realized that they were the cherubim. The glory. Have you experienced the glory? You see, we Baptists are people of the book, and I do not show any embarrassment for that. We are people of the book. But the Apostle Paul said, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but I came to you with a demonstration of the Lord's power so that your faith might rest on God's power and not on man's wisdom. A demonstration of His when Moses wanted to go to the very heart of God he said God show me your glory now something happens to us when we come face to face with the glory of God 
I want you to notice three things. First of all, there is movement. There's movement. Look back at chapter 2. Verse 1. Then God said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Now turn over to chapter 10. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord. You see, when we come in contact with the glory of God, there is going to be movement. I am going to move from one attitude towards worship to another attitude. I'm going to move in my relationship to my wife from one area to another area. I cannot ever be the same again when the glory of God comes into my presence. Because there's going to be movement. The Lord's going to pick me up and He's going to move me. Now the difficulty is, as we go like this and say, No, I am not going to be moved. And God says, I will honor your request. And so all of our lives, we are stuck in the same rut all the time. When he says, don't you know that I'm always moving? Don't you know that I am a God? It is true that never changes, but I'm always moving. I'm always doing a new thing. I'm always into a new adventure. I'm always into that that's not boring or routine. He is always going to move us from where we are to where we need to be. I believe tonight is a night of movement. You may not like it. You may put your seatbelt on and say, I'm not moving. But see, you have no choice. But you say, Lord, show me your glory. And after all, who of us wants to stay where we are right now? I don't. I said to the Lord a long time ago, and my wife said the same thing, I praise God for that. We want it all. I can remember I was in Washington, D.C., and I'd been invited uh, in the National Press Building to speak to a group of uh, politicians and leaders, and the pastor who is a pretty excited person in worship, and it's a pretty exciting church, and everything goes, and they have a great time. Now, he said, now, Paul, they don't know about this deliverance thing. They don't know about the power of God. But do whatever you want to do. But, 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 don't, but don't, you know, the intimation was now, but don't ruin what we're trying to build here. I think, oh, Lord, why would you bring me here to do this? And so we're sitting in this room, and there's, there's people lined up around this, this very professional table, and there's people on the walls. And so I just simply said, okay, what do you want? What do you want? And this Scottish man on the left-hand side, he said, I want it all! <laughs> I said, okay. We had fun after that. But do you want it all? You see, there's movement. Now, movement is scary. Because people put labels on movements. You notice that? They label movements. I don't care about the labels anymore. I want God. I want what the Word says. I want to see people healed. I want to see people delivered. I want to see people changed. Because I tell you, folks... But it ain't working in the world today yet. But I'll tell you, it is getting ready to work. Whether or not you like it, the power of God is coming. It is sweeping across this world. I have been in Argentina, I have been in England, I have been in Germany, I have been in many parts of Canada and the United States, and the power of God is being unleashed. And most of the power seems to be coming to people that are no longer in the church. Because they are so desperately hungry, but I believe, and I know Brian and Tia believe, that it needs to come to the church too. Why not? There's movement. Now, it's just not movement for movement's sake. We don't just get the fire for the fire's sake. We don't speak it's the glory just for us to have a little joy. 
There's a message. Look at chapter 1 again. Chapter 2, rather. Ezekiel has looked it up, and then verse 9, chapter 2. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll which he had unrolled before me. On both sides were written words of lament and warning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat the scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. There is movement, and then we are given a message. Folks, we are no longer in the days of what is called full-time ministry. Every one of you are in full-time ministry. Some of you may be employed by a church, but you're all in full-time ministry, and the Lord is getting ready to give you messages that you're going to unleash in your school, in your workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. He's going to release messages in restaurants. I cannot tell you how many times now we get together and the angels show up in restaurants. We we were one time, (laughs) we were in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a Mexican restaurant. We were minding our own business. We were sitting there eating tacos and enchiladas and God shows up of all places. And uh, this one man says, you need to pray for me. So this other person starts doing deliverance with this person. I'm sitting here and I'm trying to enjoy myself. You know, I've been working all day. And so he's doing deliverance on him. And, and the, the power of God starts building at this table. And this waiter comes over and he starts going like this. And the first thing in his mouth was, I need to go back to church. <laughs> and he starts weeping. That's what's going to happen. I, I see it happening more and more. It's going to be so exciting. Everybody's going to be talking about Jesus. Everybody's going to be in school. You need to believe it. Believe it. Have faith to believe this. It's true. It's coming. God is going to drag you, kicking and screaming, to start witnessing because you're not going to be able to help yourself. Because the power of God is going to come and lay people out. He's going to start healing people in schools and cities. And, and they're going to say, what happened to me? He says, that's God. And they're going to say, well, tell me about him. You're going to have to tell him. Because you see, when the glory comes, there's movement and there's a, there's a message. And I've already indicated the third step. There's ministry. Look at this. There's ministry. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. It happened in chapter 10. Again. When the glory comes, you are blown away. Your socks are blown off by the power. It doesn't stop there. That's not the purpose. Your eyes are focused on the glory. And then you say, Lord, whatever you want. I want to know you He says, enter in the mysteries of the kingdom. And he starts giving you information. Here's your message. And then a ministry. And the cool thing is, the really cool thing is, it's all because of his power. I don't need to go to any seminar to do this. I don't need to go to any train to do this. I just learn to listen and to obey. And that's where he's leading us into the future. I have been petrified to come here. I travel many circles. I see the power of God come many places. But this is home. It feels good to be home. But I want to bring to my home the good news of the power of God. That's nothing to be afraid of. There's joy in it. There's peace. And there's ministry. Ministry no longer under our own power, but under His power. 
We hope you have enjoyed this audio presentation. For more information, for ministry or for training, contact Aslan's Place, area 760-947-7881, or check out our website at www.aslansplace, all one word, dot org.